0: Welcome to episode two of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. Again, with me are my regular cohorts, Ginny Wu. Hey, how's it going? And Andrew Brown. Hello. And hopefully, we've got a good show for you this week. Okay, so just before we start properly, we're going to do a quick update from last week's episode. Um, Enthused by Andrew's description of uh, Pixel Lines DX, I decided to pick that up. Um, I quite like it. Are you still playing it, Andrew?
1: Uh, I finished the story mode last weekend, so that's like 100 of the 300 puzzles that come packed in with it, Uh, and they get quite large, so um, I think I I had put over 30 hours into it at some point, I noticed, somehow, even though it didn't feel at all like it had been that long.
0: (laughs) Uh, I mean, I guess for that it helps that it's a, a light, breezy puzzler.
1: Light, breezy, sure. Yeah, th- those are words you can apply to it, <laughs> I guess, if you really wanted to.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, so just to d- describe it in a bit more depth for those that haven't haven't played it, you basically get a, a grid with these numbers dotted around that are, like, color-coordinated, and you need to draw a line between them, but you're only allowed to use the, the same number of squares as the number that you're drawing between. Um, starts off pretty easy, but it gets challenging pretty quickly. Um... And basically, as you're filling in this grid, you're drawing a like a pixel art picture, and then it gets sort of added to like this larger scale illustration, I guess. Um, which I thought was a really cool way to sort of tell the story for uh, like a mobile style game.
1: Yeah, the story was silly. It didn't really need to be there, but you know, it, it is there, so it gives you something to drive you forward. As to the difficulty curve, I think that there is a sweet spot in puzzle games like this where puzzles can be too big or too small or just right, you know, the Goldilocks zone. And this game didn't spend long enough in the Goldilocks zone. I When I first started playing it, I was blowing through the puzzles because they were way too easy. Then I got to the point where I was like, okay, yeah, this is nice, but then the puzzles started getting really big like the entire last 20 puzzles of the last chapter took me about 2 or 3 hours to finish each one it was pretty and it was pretty intense
0: i haven't hit that point yet but um i was going to say i do wish there was more of a focus on the the picture that you're drawing while you're playing it it's very much like the puzzle first like at no point was i like oh cool i'm i'm drawing a lamp or or anything like that um and uh, as, as another update to the mobile thing, um, I know we had that discussion last time about um, how both me and Andrew would be reluctant to pick up a touchscreen-only game. I have been playing this mostly touchscreen, so maybe I'll have to rethink that Severed. Uh,
1: yes. <laughs> severed. I played it entirely with the Pro Controller.
0: Well, I've, so all I've found is with the Pro Controller, the with the analogue, the controls are a bit unwieldy. Um, and, oh, I used the And D-pad. you can use the D-pad <laughs> to snap, but it's a bit slow. So I found myself getting frustrated, so I ended up just playing it with the the touchscreen anyway. Um still nice to have the option to dock it, though. That's the important thing that I'm still going to take from that.
2: So I have a question, as someone who is not into math. Because the game <laughs> is so... The game is basically numbers and lines. How much of it is actually mathematical? Because that is like the main thing uh, that has put me uh, off. Not
0: one bit. So I. Oh it, seriously. It, it's, it's, I,
1: it's counting, basically. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I'm literally oh. mathematically dyslexic.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: Like, have you have you ever heard the story of Alexander and the Gordian knot? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, Alexander, you know, Alexander the Great, conqueror of Europe and Mesopotamia, uh, he came across this village that had a prophecy in the town that whoever could untie this giant knot they had would become the king of their land, and Alexander walks up to it, he takes one look at it, he just chops it in half with his sword, and that was how he solved the problem, and that's where uh, the phrase cutting the knot comes from. Uh, basically how I look at this game is doing that in reverse, is you've got a knot that's been cut in half, and you have to retie all the pieces back together to reforge the knot. So as far as as the math of the matter goes, like, it's not terribly mathematical, I'm sure some math whiz out there could tell me that actually there's a formula you can use to solve every single (laughs) one of these, uh, but... Basically, what it is is uh, you have to connect two nodes, which each have a matching number on them, and the end of each node actually counts as one of the numbers. So if you have like a, a string you have to connect that's 10 long, you actually have to connect them using eight different squares between them, because the ends also count as number one and number 10.
2: Okay, because I saw from the, I mean, from the layout of the screenshots I've seen, I was like, this looks like Sudoku, which I am incredibly and embarrassingly bad at, so I no. was like, I am never playing Pixel, Lines, DX, but if it's more like a puzzle game, I think I could get on board with that, so I might consider picking it up. Yep, yeah. it's,
1: it's definitely more of a puzzler. We've been comparing it to Picross, and it it works differently to Picross, because Picross does have a lot more math and logic to it, um, but it's it's a different version of solving a pixel puzzle of reading a map of individual pixels and determining where each one needs to go
2: i see
0: i, I do have one gripe with it like it has some really catchy really awesome music but it loop it loops terribly there's a pause just before it loops, and it drives me insane
1: i like I had the music on for like an hour, and then after that, for all the rest of the time I was playing it, I had the music turned off i just I turned my speakers off. I could not bear to listen to it If it wasn't for that pause, I'd be bopping my head to it all the time well it's also it's a puzzle game, and it's got this like upbeat almost dance track to it, which just don't does not help me concentrate on a puzzle at all.
2: I like that upbeat dance track. I think that would, like, get me in the groove, you know, like, get my brain going, you know. gives
0: it gives a nice rhythm to it. Um, Mm. Anyway, would I I recommend it? If you're after something to fill in five to ten minutes, it's probably worth a look. Um, Possibly a little overpriced.
1: Well, what sold me on it is, uh, on the store page, it says it's going to continue to be supported by free DLC. That that was why I got it. Because I figured even after I finish all the puzzles, I could revisit it later on and get more puzzles but uh, <laughs> i thought uh, the story mode on the last bits the puzzles were way too big like they start off on like like 8x8 eight eight grids the last puzzle is a 60x60 60 60, so that's Oof. 360 yeah it's 360 pixels to puzzle out what each color needs to be and when you get into the extra puzzles i think they go up to 100x100 i think i saw so oh my
2: god
1: yeah it's if you like it, it's a good investment, because it, you will get a lot of playtime out of it, because just, I think one of the final puzzles in Extra Mode will probably take me as long to finish as the entire last chapter of Story Mode did.
0: So we're going to move on to the latest Switch news now, where the uh, the big news was the CEO of the Pokemon company, Sinakazu Ishihara, believed that the Switch would fail. He told Nintendo that the system wouldn't be a success in the age of the smartphone because no one would want to carry around a game's console. He said, It's obvious that I was wrong. I came to realise that the key to success is quite simple. Software with absolute quality leads to sales of hardware. Playing style can be flexible if the software is attractive enough. Uh, now, I don't know about you guys, but I, I find this way of thinking from uh, developers and publishers to be pretty damaging to platforms.
2: You mean in the sense that certain consoles won't succeed, or...?
0: Yeah, well, it's just that the whole thought process of, like, well, we're not going to put any good games on this console until we know how well it's going to sell. It's like, For me, it just results in this, like, self-defeating cycle, because, like, how the hell is a console meant to sell well without good games, you know? And it's like it's very... Yeah, the Wii U. Yeah, well, it's, it's similar to what happened to the Vita. The... Like, it's a console that I really love, really wanted to do well, Everybody blamed Sony for abandoning it, which which they did, definitely. But there was also that same apprehensive approach from third parties as well that led to that. So there the just weren't stellar games launching for it constantly. Um, and Sony, in response, could only scramble like second-rate ports of PS2 games to try and keep it churning over, a- aside from the obvious indie support they got. Um, now, with the Switch, Nintendo seemed to have found a way around that. Um... Mainly because of that one big hitter a month policy, um, what well, we're like a good few months in, and there's there's been plenty of reasons to play it. So, uh, what are your thoughts on 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 that that sort of thinking?
1: I just really want to line up all of the big publishers' CEOs who said that the consoles were dying. They were going to be killed by cell phones. I just want to line them all up so we can all just point and laugh at them because they were (laughs) so So wrong. Like, uh, I've been reading uh, Jason Schreier's new book, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, and I guess the same thing happened to uh, Dragon Age Inquisition where the publisher, uh, EA, mandated that they had to have a version of the game on 360 and PlayStation 3, which really limited what they were actually able to do. And that led to all kinds of headaches for them, but they were mandated to do it because the publisher believed that the game wouldn't sell enough because nobody was going to have PlayStation 4 or Xbox One to buy the game on. And then the game finally came out and 90% of the sales were on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. (laughs) I just... I don't know what the thinking was there because I'm not a fan of cell phone games for the most part, but that's because cell phone games are very different from main console platform games. They have a completely different input. They have a completely different philosophy for the most part about how they demand your time. I'm thinking about like the big ones like uh, Clash of Clans and stuff that just constantly demand you to play every day and not play constantly, just play for a few minutes and then you're good, like, that's a completely different idea from how consoles work. So, like, people who want to play console games, they're not going to be converted to a cell phone game. They're going to want to play console games. So, I just, I don't understand where this thinking came from that consoles were going to die, except that developers were looking, or publishers, were looking at cell phone games, seeing how profitable they were, and thinking that, oh, that's where the money is, that's where games are going.
0: Well, it's, you know, like, I, I remember uh at you know tech conferences a, a few years ago where they were saying, you know, the oh well tablets are just gonna as be as powerful as any console you've got, so they're just gonna take over. Twenty seventeen, what do we have? The same reskin strategy game a million times over with different franchises applied to it. It's all the good stuff like, you know, your monument valleys and stuff get buried by like you say, clash of clans and game of war and, and all that other rubbish.
1: Every developer's got its own collectible card game out now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think in the way that releases have been going recently, I mean, I know that the Tales series now has Tales of the Rays on the mobile, which doesn't actually play a whole heap different from Tales on the on the on the 3DS. And I mean, like, obviously, if you compare the graphics on the you know the app version on the phone compared to 3DS, they actually look a bit better. On the phone, and so I'm wondering if maybe developers um, will look at things like Tales of the Rays and go, "I can have like a spin-off type game of my main series that will sell on um, on a mobile, and it may even cost them less to produce over time than like a full-fledged 3DS title, because they can obviously patch the game over time; they don't have to have the full thing ready when it releases. And I know Tales of the Rays when I had it downloaded, patched pretty much every other week with new content and sort of like current story content so maybe they could see as a cost effective way of getting you know an offshoot product out on the market but i mean i don't think that that would be motivation enough to declare that you know the console is dying because people have an iphone but yeah i don't know i mean i guess short of asking a game developer we wouldn't really be able to speculate on on that ourselves from our position
0: well hopefully we'll be able to do that soon but um but yeah it's just it just that whole attitude of a portable device that's dedicated to gaming can't succeed because mobiles exist just just doesn't work for me uh and it's like just seriously support the hardware from the off make some big games maybe something designed specifically for it the hardware will sell You'll make money from game sales. It's not rocket science. You can't not produce games for it and then just go, I knew it would fail, because then you're part of the problem. Um, Next up is that custom button reassignment is coming to arms. Um, Did any of us play this? I didn't.
2: I did not. So
1: I played the Global Test Punch back in June or late May or whenever that happened, and I, I spent about 10 minutes with the game, which is all it took for me to realize that it wasn't for me, so <laughs> I had experience with it, but I, I'm not a fan.
0: Would would button reassignment make it more enjoyable for you?
1: Um, Yes and no. Uh, I played it with the motion controls, and my immediate impression of it was, like, this is actually be the first game, like, built around motion controls where I would actually choose to use them instead of default controls. I thought they worked pretty well. Uh, the problem that I had with them, and I think this is where this piece of news is pretty big for some people, is the block button was assigned to, you know how you can press down on the joysticks and that's considered a button, but almost no game actually uses it? Well, I, I guess a lot of games use it. A lot of first-person shooters use it for the run button, but that's about it. Yep. In ARMS, for whatever reason, that was what the block button was assigned to. It was not easy for me to do that, and I felt like there was plenty of other places that button could have been put. So I could see that to being an advantage, and I had, when the news came out, I did see a lot of people talking on Twitter about how, oh, finally I can put the block button in a better place. But, uh, aside from making the controls even better than I already thought they were, uh, it wouldn't salvage the game for me, because I just thought the game was kind of mindless and inane, and it forced me into like playing this party game I had no desire to play, and <laughs> it por- forced me into like melee matches, like 1 vs. 1 vs. 1 and 2 vs. 2, where uh, clearly the game's strength, if you play it, is 1 vs. 1 matches, but in the test punch, I did barely any, so the game did not make a great impression on me, and not just because of the controls.
0: Yeah, so like I'm I'm still interested in it, but I think that's partly out of uh, oh, hey, this is one of Nintendo's big first party games, and that's it, really. I don't think it's the sort of fighting game that I would play extensively.
2: Yeah, I think if I wanted to fight, I would just play Pokken Tournament, which I know is going to be good. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, I think ARMS is like... I think the art star reminds me a lot of Splatoon, even though I know they're like vastly different games. I think that sort of like idea is still there, like a cartoony, not-too-mature sort of themed um party type game and um uh, similar to andy i might get it only because it is like one of nintendo's original ips that i haven't gotten but i mean probably wouldn't buy it full price as it is currently if i've got no one to play it with so
1: yeah it was the first big release that i skipped i felt kind of bad but Oh, well, (laughs) I shouldn't feel bad for not buying a game that I don't want, but I wanted to support Nintendo, but I just played that. I'm just like, sorry, but no, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I would definitely pick it up later on the line once the used prices have dropped considerably.
0: Cool. So now this was one that uh, Andrew added to our show notes, so I might let him take the lead on this one, Um, but it's about what's missing from the quarter four sales discussions.
1: Yeah, uh, I've been reading as we've been getting closer to October and the real opening up the big holiday sales season. I've been reading all these sites about what the big sellers for the Switch are going to be. They're talking about Mario Odyssey, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Fire Emblem Warriors. I've just been kind of taken aback by almost a complete absence of anybody talking about Breath of the Wild. Which we somehow managed to get through the entire first episode without talking about it or even mentioning it, but I still think it's the biggest and best game on the Switch, and there's gonna be a huge new install base coming during the holiday season, just with people getting one as stock has been replenished, and then other people getting it as actual gifts for whatever holiday it is they celebrate in December. And they're all gonna need Breath of the Wild, so I'm just, I've been surprised people seem to have either been not mentioning it or have been taking it for granted. And there's also the story DLC that is supposed to be coming out in quarter four too.
0: So I've got a, a couple of thoughts on this one. I think as well with the like end of year discussions, like the game of the year, people tend to have short memories and it, yes. it's, it's usually quarter four stuff anyway that gets mentioned around that time. Um, the other factor is I guess a lot of people still can't get a Switch.
2: Yeah, I mean, in terms of what my thoughts are on this, I agree with what Andy said, is that I think people are just focused, really, on the games that are coming out in Quarter 4, and I think as what people are thinking, you know, the Switch has been out for almost almost a year, I guess, when we sum up the end of Q4, and, you know, people, Zelda was the first big release on the Switch, so I think people sort of assume that everyone's already got Zelda. Um, but I mean, it does have the extra story DLC coming, so it would be worth a mention, but I really just think that because you've got Mario Odyssey, and you've got Pokken coming out, and all these other bigger titles from other Nintendo franchises, that I think the focus is on that, and while I don't 100% agree with it, I can see why that is the focus.
0: Now, there was another element I just thought of, um... I think they sold more Switch copies of Breath of the Wild than they had sold Switches at one point, so it was like people they were did. buying it yes. buying it ahead of time, ready for when they could get a Switch, mm. or just because they want it in their collection. Um, that might play a factor in that too, I guess.
1: Yeah, I bought the Wii U version, even though I had a Switch, just so I could own the Wii U version, so I, I definitely understand that mentality that led to, like I think it was like 110% attach rate on the Switch version.
0: Okay, we're going to move on to uh, newly announced games now. So on the list here, we've got um, 88 heroes, 98 heroes. I have no idea what that is. Anyone care to tell me?
1: I've only looked at a video of it, uh, but it looks like a side-scrolling action platformer where there are 88 different characters, although this is like a a deluxe version, so now there's 98 heroes, hence the name. Uh, And just like each hero handles wildly differently like like there's a chicken that throws exploding eggs and then there's another character that can climb on the ceiling if they want to and it looks like a pretty out of control game
2: yeah conceptually it reminds me a bit of broforce because when you die you get thrown in with like another hero than the one that you first started so i think that's sort of the i guess the draw of the title is you can literally play as 88 different people in one run or 98 different people in one run, if you're unlucky enough to die 97 times. <laughs> but it is like a 2D platformer, so I don't know if that would be on my two-pickup list, but um, yeah.
1: So if the price is right, like uh, just came out on the eShop this week was League of Evil, which looks like a really simplistic like action 2D platformer. We might be seeing a lot of those on the Switch.
2: Mm, I think so.
0: Sounds interesting regardless. Uh, Next up is Farming Simulator, which I've never played. Have either of you two?
2: I play Euro Truck Simulator, but not Farming Simulator. And I think if Euro Truck Simulator came to the Switch store, I would buy it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've been following the whole simulator, for lack of a better word, genre on Steam. And just the games that they have are just... (laughs) I don't understand why they're so popular but as soon as like farming simulator knowing nothing about it i was still kind of interested in getting it on switch so i'm just amazed at the switch's ability to make me interested in games i would otherwise pay absolutely no attention to
0: uh, and then oh, the big yeah. one which was a nice surprise this week was uh, l.a noir is coming to switch as well as other platforms um full game plus dlc Now, this is a super interesting one for me because I consider it to be both the best game in the world and the worst game in the world. (laughs) Um, I
1: have strong mixed feelings about it, too. I
0: I love the investigations. I love trying to read characters' intentions. um, But I felt by the end that solving the cases was ultimately an empty experience because it didn't really matter who you tried to pin the crime on. Um, And in spite of it being like a really grown-up story... Uh, I just felt disappointed because like Cole was such a complex character, and his personal journey that you discover over the course of the game is is amazing. Um, but I felt like it was lacking like big revelations, like a like a puppet master that was playing with him the whole time, or or something like that. Without getting in- into spoiler territory, um, and then it just felt like everything I'd done was a bit pointless. What about you two?
1: I have different reasons for really liking and really not liking L.A. Noir. I, I love the story. I love that, like, ultimately the conspiracy you unravel is actually, it's not low stakes, but it's not as basically video gamey as you get. It's, it's a noir story. So it does read, if you look at it. From a broad, distant view, it reads. It looks more like a Raymond Chandler novel, as far as what's going on in it. There isn't like a big boss that you have to fight. It's more of a, a systemic problem that you're confronting. So I actually liked that, and I also liked that uh, you could play the missions. Not necessarily however you want, but, like, you weren't punished. You didn't get a game over if you make the wrong accusation. The mission just continues, and maybe sends you off on different directions to find new clues to send you in the right direction. And if you completely botch it, you just get chewed out by the chief, and then the mission's over, and you go on to the next one. I actually really appreciated that, because uh, I'm kind of sick of making the wrong dialogue choice and getting a game over. That's just It's, it's way too easy to make a game that way. But what I'm really critical on the game of is the open world stuff. It's it's just terrible. It doesn't need to be there. It adds nothing. It's like they said, oh, Rockstar is publishing this game. So we have to make it open world now because now it's a Grand Theft Auto game. It's no, just it didn't need it. It detracted from the game. And I, if anybody is not played LNWR yet and is getting it based off our recommendation, whenever you're doing a mission you have the option of asking your partner to drive you to the next location take it because the open world stuff does not exist for any reason any valuable reason whatsoever
2: yeah you're not wrong um i am similar to i think how andrew feels i wouldn't really call the eleanor the best game ever or the worst game ever but i did really like it and mainly for the investigatory stuff like i love playing you know, hard-boiled crime detective-type roles. Um, I was really into The Wolf Among Us, um, that Telltale game. So I would have liked it if Eleanor had been not open-world, and if you had to get around anywhere or to do anything in the world, it would sort of be in that constrained area where the crimes occur, similar to The Wolf Among Us. Um, I do think the open-world stuff was nonsense. I just thought there was no need for it. And um, I would have actually... I actually did quite like the whole realism in the sense that if you made a mistake, you made the mistake, you got chewed out for it by your boss, and that was that. Like, that was what I wanted um, and what I enjoyed. But I did hope that we would get the story to end in a way that would hint at a sequel because I I liked it. I wanted to play more of it. I wanted to see more of that same world. If we did like a different, you know, different state in America, but the same sort of like noir formula, I would be completely down to that. Um, so, I think, at least in my opinion, I think they could have gone a lot further with the narrative, like I could see that they had all these little touches from you know the crimes that we know about, like the Black Dahlia murders and stuff like that. But they could have gone a lot further with making stuff darker. I don't mean like visually, um, the game was pretty was pretty dark um in terms of lighting and a lot of bits anyway but i sort of mean the story could have gone far deeper i know it was mainly meant to be about phelps and his you know his sort of downward spiral into life and his semi-redemption story um but without being too spoilery i feel like we didn't really come to a satisfying conclusion on that like all the threads were wrapped up but also i felt like oh is that it like i kind of wanted a lot more I think we could have had more emotional payoff in the game, which I think we could have done because of the the motion capture visuals for basically the first time. You could have made people a lot more expressive. You could have made cutscenes have a lot more impact. I would have wanted that under the game, but I recommend it. I'm probably going to get it on the Switch. Well, I'm definitely going to get it on the Switch when it comes out. And I would like to see how the whole Joy-Con motion controls actually work into it because I think that was the thing that they made specifically for the Switch version. So that'd be quite
0: cool to see. Um, yeah, and al- although I'm quite critical of it, I'm definitely picking it up because I think although it's like polarizing and I have mixed opinions on it, it's completely worth experiencing just for that factor alone to see what what side of the fence you you sit on. Um, and I I love like seeing how my opinion holds up years later. So yeah, I'm definitely going to give that another go too.
1: Yeah. And I've only played the, uh, vanilla version of the game. Uh, I've been keeping an eye out for the complete edition. I am a console player. So like, I know you can get the complete edition very easily and very cheap on steam, but I don't even know if my computer can even run it, but the complete edition on 360 is very rare and very expensive. So I haven't been able to play uh, the bonus missions. So I'm interested in getting it on switch just so I can do those for the first time.
0: (laughs) Cool. Now, uh, When we were discussing this behind the scenes, uh, Andrew, you had a couple of concerns about it, I I believe.
1: Uh, Criticisms, mostly. (laughs) Um, The Wii U, uh, especially early on, it really got saddled uh, with a reputation as being kind of a dumping ground for last-gen ports. And actually, the Wii had the same problem where while the 360 and the PS3 were getting brand-new games, the Wii was getting PlayStation 2 games with waggle controls slapped on them and i'm just wondering what that says for the switch that it's getting la noir it's getting skyrim uh breath of the wild even is technically a last gen port i i just wonder why there isn't that reputation that stigma around the switch as of yet if it may come later who knows
0: okay well i've I've got a couple of thoughts i mean um I don't see it that it's going to be any worse than what the PS4 gets at the moment. Um, I mean, in the case of L.A. Noir, it's not like they've gone, oh, hey, this isn't as powerful as a PS4 or, or an Xbox. Let's just port a last-gen game to it. It's like they're doing it for all current systems. And for me, it feels more like a statement of support. Like, they could have easily just remastered this for PS4 and Xbox and forgot the Switch and no one would have backed an eyelid. No one would have cared. Um, I would have cared. <laughs> but people would have just assumed That the console couldn't handle the engine or something You know, that that's a story that comes out a lot um, And missing it probably would have made a lot of sense To a lot of people But the fact that the Switch is part of the conversation at all excites me
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm of a similar mind as you, Andy um, I think that it's great The Switch is getting pretty much any games I think the Switch should get all games And I know I said this emphatically multiple times Last episode The Switch should have every game, all the time and, hashtag um,
1: port all the games.
2: Yes, exactly. Hashtag port all the games.
0: That's our official hashtag.
2: <laughs> I think it's a good thing that we are getting these games, even if they are a bit older, like Andy said, for example, for Eleanor specifically, it's not just, you know, HD remaster, everyone's faces look way better. Um, they've actually gone to the effort of making specific Joy-Con um control parts of the game for the Switch, so it's not just relying on the content that was already there. So I think if we get more support from last-gen ports which have these same features that clearly show that the Switch has been considered when they've produced these ports, then I'm all for it. And even if it isn't, I mean, just give me every single game on there. I'm happy with it. I'm fine.
0: And of course, speaking of last-gen games being ported to Switch, um, most of what has has already been ported has been Wii U games. Uh, and I'm personally fine with that, because although I, I had a Wii U, a lot of people didn't bother Um, And it means there's a bunch of games that were getting criminally underplayed and now going to be in a position to be played. So I think that's good. On that note, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, please. Yes, Yes, please.
1: We talked last time about the Nintendo tax, where uh, things on the eShop as of yet seem to not be going on sale quite the way they do with on Steam or PlayStation or Xbox Live. Uh, And... LA Noir, we have now found out, is going to cost ten dollars more on Switch for fifty dollars uh, US than it will on the PS four mm. and the Xbox One. Uh and I was just wondering if the increased cost of Nintendo cartridges is going to be a deterrent for third party releases.
2: I don't think it's stopped anyone so far. Um but then again, I mean we have quite a few quite a few Indies on there as well. I don't think that the price point is gonna be a huge issue for third party releases. But I mean, like we said last week, regardless of the tax, I think people are still you know, these towers are still sort of flying off the metaphorical shelves of the eShop. So I don't think it's a huge problem, but I am hoping that the Nintendo tax perhaps may go down in the future, I guess the more popular the Switch becomes. Um, while it might not make financial sense for companies to charge less for a game, I think as the Switch becomes sort of more normalised and it sort of ranks up there in terms of consoles that are always going to be considered for release, I think we'll see that tax go lower or maybe even disappear.
0: Um, I think it's going to have another knock-on effect. We're going to see that apparently with uh, NBA 2K18, where the digital version um, is still being released next week alongside the the other console versions but the physical release is coming out a whole month later Uh certainly here, anyway i don't know about the us uh so we might see that sort of logistics delay maybe and
1: the the physical version of nba 2k18 also they can't fit all of it onto a card so you have to even if you own the physical version of the game you still have to download part of it to play it
0: yeah and that that would make the 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 price difference between digital and physical seem a little unfair i guess
1: Yeah, and Resident Evil Revelations Collection, which is coming out at the end of November, it's also running into that. Um, I think how I understand it is, is since there's two games, like even the biggest card that Nintendo will provide to publishers right now actually isn't big enough for both the games to be on it. So if you buy the physical version of the Resident Evil Revelations Collection, you get the first game on the card, and the second game uh, is a digital download because that's the only way they could actually do it except to release both games as separate releases physically uh,
0: and that sort of thing would just lead me to just opt for the digital version I think to yeah. avoid faffing around
1: I'm getting the physical version just because I am stubborn but <laughs> <laughs> i I to I totally understand the logic of that but uh, uh the analyst uh, Daniel Ahmad who if you don't follow him on Twitter you should uh. He's got a lot of great things to say about this, like because just the way the expense is, and I think the thirty-two gigabyte is the biggest card available to publishers right now. Uh, but we're constantly making better and better micro, whatever the word is. I'm not great at hardware. Uh,
2: micro SD so cards?
1: No, just just micro processors. Like you know how, like for oh, a while, yeah. Yeah. four gigabyte flash drives were the standard now you get eight gigabytes for the same price and like and that because of the singularity that is constantly ramping up speed so like this time next year the 64 gigabyte cards could be out and they could be just as cheap well just as expensive to produce as the 32 gigabyte cards but how he has explained it is with the standard and what nintendo charges for the cards since you have to get them you have to get the cards from nintendo if you're a publisher uh, is if you want to break even with how much it costs to publish on uh, an Xbox One or PlayStation 4, you got to go for the 8 gigabyte cards. So if the game doesn't fit onto an 8 gigabyte card and it's a multi-platform release, it's always going to cost more on a Nintendo.
0: Okay, so we're going to move on to the new releases from this week. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole heap of time on this, but if you guys have any comments, please feel free to jump in. Um, so, releasing this week, we had... Uh, Physical Contact 2048 um, which uh, the description gave me a bit of a chuckle but um, looks like a a card numbers game could be okay Uh, Blue's Journey which is another Neo Geo classic making its way to the Switch store Um, we got The Bridge which is the most interesting looking of this week's releases I think Uh, it's a logic puzzler that plays with physics and perspective self-describes as MC Escher meets Isaac Newton sounds cool Uh, Neurovoider, which I believe Andrew has played, uh, which is a twin-stick shooter, this is a a genre that I think has been uh, underserved so far on Switch, this is cool Um, Double Dragon 4, which as far as I can tell is a brand new sequel but with the the old 8-bit old-school graphics Um, Binding of Isaac finally hits the EU and AU stores it's been out in the US pretty much since the Switch launched I believe, um, and RBI Baseball uh, 17, um, I have no interest in baseball, it certainly looks like a baseball game, <laughs> um, maybe Andrew being the American has more of an opinion on that than I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <hey. laughs> any I have, comments on any of those?
1: I have no interest in sports ball, um, <laughs> sports ball. yeah I'm one of those. <laughs> uh as far as rbi baseball 17 since we're on on that one uh the original rbi baseball on nes is like the original definitive baseball game if i'm going to play a baseball video game i would rather play rbi baseball than any other uh so i looked at this one on the eShop and i saw like it has not true to life graphics but i did not think it in any way resembled rbi baseball when i looked at it. If you go on YouTube, look up the original RBI Baseball for NES and compare it to this. It, it doesn't even look remotely the same. So any burgeoning interest I might have had in RBI Baseball 17 was instantly quashed because it just looks like any other baseball game that's out there.
0: Okay. And um, you've played Neurovader?
1: Yeah, I think that one's about a year old, but it just came to the eShop to this week. Uh I was reminded strongly of another roguelite twin stick shooter, which is on the PlayStation network called Neon Chrome. You play as like a a disembodied brain who's been imprisoned by robots after they've taken over the world and like the entire, they've turned the entire planet into a constant techno rave or something. It's pretty weird. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I... I have enjoyed my time with the game. Uh, it goes; The levels go really fast, so there's actually a lot of downtime, it feels like, because like, it has a Diablo-like drop system where everything you kill pretty much will drop you a new item, and it can be randomly decided whether it's any good to you or not, so you have to sort through them between every level and decide if you want to upgrade or not. That Until I learned the kind of items I needed to be watching out for that system kind of slowed the game down a lot. And even now I'm sure if somebody was watching me play it, they would get bored pretty quickly watching me play a level that lasts for like two minutes on a long level. And then there's like 30 seconds to a minute of me sorting through equipment. I'm not too impressed by the pacing and visually it's not great to look at. It all looks the same. Um, the graphics are really dark. Uh, one of my big complaints about the Switch so far, one of my main complaints, is when you're playing in handheld mode on some games, it's so dark you can't see sometimes. Like, uh, uh, Minecraft really suffers from that. It It's just impossible to see sometimes what's going on. And I'm really concerned that this game would have that problem because Binding of Isaac also has it. So whenever I'm playing a game that has a lot of dark graphics or mostly black colors... I'm really concerned about how visible it's going to be playing in handheld mode, so I'm being really critical of it, but actually I have, in spite of all of this, really enjoyed my time with it, because it is a really solidly built twin-stick shooter.
0: The way you've just described it as in short short levels and then a long time sorting loot just sounds like my dream. I might check that out. <laughs> um, also, I feel like I, sh- I should be the sort of person that's picking up the bridge, but instead I can't help but looking at Double Dragon 4. It looks interesting. Even just out of morbid curiosity.
1: Both of those are on my buy list at some point, but I've got to beat the last game I bought. So <laughs> it's going to have to wait.
2: I don't know if I would get um, Neuroavoider. I mean, it does sound like the sort of premise on steroids that I think is ridiculously entertaining. But also, not super into the whole twin-stick shooter thing, and actually, I quite prefer longer levels. Um, I've also been burned so much by the Diablo 3 loot system, trying to do seasonal stuff, and it's just... I get flashbacks every time I think about having to to loot something and have it end up like Diablo 3, so... I think if I had to pick one um, of the new releases so far that we've talked about to pick up, I'll probably go for The Bridge, because it sounds really, really unique. And I like my puzzles, and I think even though self-describing as MC Escher meets Isaac Newton sounds um, sounds a bit full of it, I think I am sufficiently piqued in terms of my interests, so I'll probably pick that one up.
1: Yeah, what I've seen of video of the bridge makes it look like they took the climax of Labyrinth and made a video game out of it. It looks pretty okay. interesting.
0: Uh, so there was one I left off the list, and that's one uh, I picked up because um, I wanted to talk about it more in depth. And that was Lego Worlds. So um, I am um, I have become a big fan of these like sandbox builder games since I got into Minecraft. Uh, a couple of years ago, but well after everybody else. It's kind of funny how uh, Minecraft has been built for years as virtual LEGO. And now there's a LEGO game that's similar, and now that's LEGO Minecraft. Um, but they're not really comparable either. So so in LEGO Worlds, there's no mining. Um, it's actually a lot more like No Man's Sky. Mm. So you... You... you um, you fly through a galaxy. You land on a planet. You then scan items to add it to your library. So they're like, these could be like a plant or a pre-built building or a vehicle or something. Are you um, are you describing
1: you can, No Man's Sky or Lego Worlds?
0: Lego Worlds, surprisingly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, but the difference here is whatever you scan with the the handy gun, you can then place it or shoot another copy out of it into the world. Um, now it does some really cool things so like the tools that it gives you are are, like super powerful you can flatten or raise the terrain on a whim, you could create a mountain you can change colours, copy paste entire structures but it's very 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 fiddly Hmm. so aligning and judging sizes can be tough Um, the controls are touch heavy for that sort of precision Um, that could be down to the the frame rate which is a bit choppy mm. even just turning the camera in an non busy uh, area can can be a little little choppy in that regards um and i gather that's not a problem that's solely relating to the switch version so i don't think it's a hardware thing either while you can like spit out like ready made items you can get down to the brick by brick level a bit like minecraft but it it's well it's faster faster paced because you can um, like just stack up blocks really quickly um without the mi- mining element it's really really unrewarding
1: uh I, I was wary of this game when i saw it coming out because i got minecraft on my switch and i've been playing it a lot uh, just today i noticed that sometime in the past week it's officially become my switch game that i played the second most breath of the wild is first uh and i to this 65 hours later of playing Minecraft, I still have no idea what it is I'm supposed to be accomplishing. So, like, as soon as I heard that there was uh, another Minecraft-like game coming out, like Lego Worlds, I was like, I don't want another one of those because I already don't know what I'm supposed to be accomplishing in the first one in spite of spending three days real time playing it. Uh, So actually, I'm grateful to listen to Andy describe it and he say it's actually not quite like Minecraft. It's there, but it's not. So uh I appreciate that.
0: That that also leads in well to the adventure mode. So unlike Minecraft which just drops you into the world and gives you no indication, Lego Worlds has it has that. It has a free you know, like a creative mode equivalent. and mm-hmm. um, but it has an adventure mode too, which is meant to give you the direction. I see. Um, and this is where another No Man's Sky comparison comes in because you're The story is that you're an astronaut lost in space and you're landing on all these procedurally generated planets. They're like block planets. Um, And then you have to collect the right number of items to be able to get off the planet and go to the next planet. Sounds a lot like No Man's Sky again.
1: Are the worlds networked? Is it it that way in No Man's Sky where you uh, are exploring worlds that other players can also explore? Or is it all a local thing? I
0: haven't figured that part out yet. Okay. you can name the planets but i don't know if that's just for me or for other people i don't think it's as
1: you know as uh, as big as that i'm i think it's not only remarkable that there's a no man's sky clone out already or that but that there was a no man's sky clone at all given how that game was received <laughs>
0: That game is basically okay, and I will fight anyone that says otherwise. I'm, I'm... I, I'm not,
1: I'm not going to argue with anybody who did like it. I'm just <laughs> saying that the critical reception to it was pretty not great. So I'm just surprised a studio went to that well for ideas to copy. But I, I'm actually... I'm delighted to hear that there's actually a lot of structure introduced into it which might be something that actually i would appreciate about no man's sky because i didn't play minecraft for the longest time i I haven't played it since this year uh that's how late i've come to minecraft Uh, largely because of the reputation of the guy who made it i've just deliberately avoided it but last year i did pick up dragon quest builders just out of morbid curiosity and that wound up being my favorite game uh released last year it was my game of the year of 2016 so that kind of pushed me into getting into minecraft but immediately upon starting minecraft i missed the structure and the direction that dragon quest builders gives you so maybe that's something i would appreciate about lego worlds
0: yeah, and and like um, the, the adventure mode is more of a tutorial to teach you how to use the tools, um, and it does that with like a series of puzzles. Like a a character might want a certain structure building, or you might have to free someone from uh, a trap. Um, in the prehistoric world I landed on, for example, there was a guy stuck inside the ribs of a, a dead dinosaur, and I had <laughs> to remove the ribs to let him let him out. Um, now, now it's good that you're bringing up Minecraft, so. For me, LEGO Worlds is not half as fun as Minecraft. I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to stick with it. Um, just the, the technical aspects um, have, have caused me some issues. Um, that said, you can shoot ginger tabbies out of guns into existence, so game of the year. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, anyway, so but the the Minecraft s- comparison is interesting because everyone compares it. They're not very similar. Now, Minecraft is obviously one of the most popular games on on Switch as it is any console. Like Andrew, I also have to separate my opinion on the creator uh, <laughs> from the creation. Yeah. Um. Now, like, I I I am obsessed with Minecraft. It's like my my meditation game. Like it's it's I find it so zen. Um. I tried when it originally came out on PC, didn't get it. Tried it on 360, didn't get it. When it came out on PS4, I completely bought into the surprise release hype and decided to buy it on a whim. Been hooked ever since. I think what got me in that time was like the sense of discovery. Like I was, I was. Although I tried it twice, I was still essentially going in blind. Um, But then, as I was finding all these new blocks and trying to figure out what the hell you meant to do with them. Things like stumbling across villages and then working out how to interact with them. Things like realizing I could steal their crops and sell, sell them back to them.
1: There are Emeralds. villages? What? You've not found a village yet? I've been playing for 65 hours. I have not found a village yet.
2: To <laughs> be fair, he's also only been digging tunnels. Like, we have seen screenshots of this before That's true. Just I'll talk about that
1: in a moment. Tunnels. I will talk about <laughs> the Mole King in a moment. <laughs> Let's let uh, Andy and, finish. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: so that that also means that you haven't built a Nether portal, then I guess.
1: I'm working on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which oh which literally takes you to hell, um, and that and then that's a whole new challenge of trying to survive in a place where literally everything's trying to kill you, not just yep. some things. Um, now, when I was playing it, my wife got hooked. Because she she liked that sense of discovery, um, and then she started playing it, and then we found that we work really really well together as a co-op pairing. Because she loves exploring mines, going into caves, and getting into all the trouble and finding all the stuff. I like building, so I just I just <laughs> sit around sit around on the uh, on the open green building castles while she she goes and gets the stuff for me. Nice. It works pretty well. Um, but yeah, so the the reason. Why I was pleased you brought this up was because uh Andrew's journey sort of mirrors my own with this as I've been watching him live tweet it. So how are you finding it?
1: Um well like I said I came to it it was Dragon Quest Builders that made me finally buy the freaking game and just play it. Uh and I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing. So basically what I did was I built a house Uh, that would serve my needs and keep me from dying at night and then I just went out and tried to figure out what it was I was supposed to be doing and what I mostly ended up doing was finding caves and doing my best to go as deep into the cave and mine as much rare material as I could and bring it back to my house without dying. Now about 50% of the time I would get completely lost and I would end up dying. Uh, so the result was I did not feel like I was making much forward progress because I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing in the first place. Uh, basically once I got to iron materials and iron armor, iron tools, my, I felt like my progress came to a halt. So I kept nuking my worlds once I felt I had been killed in an unfair way because I just had no attachment to them. So... But then at the end of August, it was only about two weeks ago now, but it feels like much longer, (laughs) I started a new world that I called Carlsbad, and I went to the top of the nearest mountain, and I started digging down all the way to the very bedrock level just to see what happens when you reach the limit of the, uh, the game space. And I reached the bedrock, and I had... Chess upon chess filled with cobblestone and all kinds of other stuff. I didn't know what to do with it, but I felt like I had actually accomplished something, and I felt like I had done something that I didn't want to destroy this level. So I went to the top of another mountain and I dug another one. <laughs> and then I did that three and four more times. And then I decided to connect all those tunnels, all those shafts down the mountain, with tunnels. So that way I never actually have to go back to the surface world, and I actually can find my way around now without feeling like I'm getting lost, and I've basically turned into the Mole King with six of these (laughs) shafts I've dug now with this ridiculous network of tunnels connecting them all together, which has gotten so ridiculous that I've started actually connecting these tunnels together by accident without meaning to, just digging through, seeing what I find, like, oh, I've (laughs) been here before. (laughs) I'm working on building an underground fortress right now where I can finally start finding out what I'm supposed to do with the 3,000 pieces of redstone I found, And, and hopefully I'll be able to make some more steps forward into the nether realm, and maybe someday I'll find a village, who knows, but I have absolutely no idea what it is I am accomplishing, but I feel like I'm actually accomplishing something now, even if it's bewildering and stupid so i've been enjoying it
2: that's really interesting because i think my minecraft journey or story is completely different so i played very little of the basic stuff it's like just enough to run around find some people some you know some poultry get my my butt kicked by a variety of monsters and then i found the mods like skyblock and then that was just it for me i just played only skyblock for hours and hours and hours and i think for me minecraft um doesn't have any structure and that's what kinda of puts me off. But with the mods you can have like, you know, basically unending quests and goals to finish, which is sort of why I like to play modded Minecraft. Um and as to why I probably won't get it on the Switch, unfortunately, but it looks like you two love it enough, um, for all of us.
1: I have been told by one of the Minecraft devs on Twitter that mods in some capacity are supposed to be coming to Switch.
2: Maybe I'll consider it then
1: yeah and and
0: suffice to say the switch has become my default platform for it now i I own it like four times, and the switch is my favourite place um and um, I think like you've both touched on the lack of structure and how that was a problem. that was a problem for me initially as well, but I think what it gives you is a a game for all moods, so if you just wanna chill, switch off your brain, you can just exist in the world, listen to the awesome music. Um if you wanna get creative you can you can build. There's creative mode if you can't be bothered mining anything. Um and hey you want a bit of adventure? Cool, just walk into any cave and see how far you get. Like it's it's just got a bit of everything. So moving on to listener questions now. Uh got a couple. Uh Bullet Babom asks, Will we be flooded with Pokemon games now that the Switch is a confirmed hit? I have a, a confession, I've never actually finished a Pokemon game. <gasps>
2: Oh, come on. Andy, don't do
0: this to me, buddy. I'm very I'm very close to finishing Pokemon Yellow on 3DS. Oh my god. Um, uh, um it's a series that I only came into as an adult. So, it wasn't something I was aware of when I was a kid.
1: Gen 1 is like um, the easiest one to beat, too. Just get yourself a psychic Pokemon and kill everything. <laughs> I'm
0: nearly there. I'm nearly there. Um so um, but having enjoyed what I've played, I think, I hope it does become flooded with, with Pokemon games, because uh, I think it would be the perfect format to see me complete one, but certainly one of the new ones.
2: Yeah, I think I am all for it. Um, as you may have gathered from last week, I am pro-Pokemon, I am pro-every game ever on the Switch, we've already said this once in on the podcast, but I'll reiterate it again, so yes, I think we actually will see far more Pokemon games. I think po- I think Pokemon Tournament was a good one to lead with, and I think that the fan response, which I think will be good, will encourage Nintendo to then think about putting Pokemon games on the Switch. Because I mean, they're like a Pokemon game factory by now. We get pretty much one every other year, and I think that the Switch is the best place to have that current content, so to speak, out.
1: Yeah, this might go back to what we talked about earlier with the Pokemon company CEO thinking the Switch would be a failure. I don't know how much power he really has to say yes or no to producing a game for a specific platform, but obviously the Switch is now a success to whatever capacity. Uh, I think we are going to be seeing a lot more Pokemon games. I'm frankly astonished that the Sun and Moon updates weren't uh, aimed at Switch uh so maybe we'll have to wait a little bit longer uh for a true core series release on the switch like i said in episode one i think that's probably gonna be the diamond pearl remakes which we'll be seeing on switch uh but we've got puck and tournament coming uh anything could happen with virtual console who knows uh and i also would not be surprised if we see the mobile games that they've made which is the uh pokemon pie cross pokemon rumble world and pokemon shuffle We'll probably see ports of them to the Switch now that the platform has done well. Uh, yes, 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 yes. We will be seeing more Pokemon games. It's the Cash Cow franchise for Nintendo. It would be stupid if we didn't see them on here.
0: Um, and we had one other question. Uh, I haven't got it here. If you got that one to hand, Andrew?
1: I don't, Ginny.
2: <laughs> I've got it. It wasn't even a question. It was just... Okay, I'll do, I'll oh yeah, I'll I'll read it out. Hang on. It was I'll
1: more of a challenge. <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay. So our other question or challenge per se from um, from my good mate Craig, who submitted questions last week, um, uh, he asked, "How many switches would a switch switch if a switch could switch switches?" Now you gotta, <laughs> say, you it say? You oh, gotta well, say it five times fast. You gotta say it five times <laughs> fast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Let's do it, guys. Okay. How many switches would a switch switch if a switch could switch switches? How many switches would a switch switch if a switch could switch switches? How many switches would a switch switch if a switch could switch switches? How many switches would a switch switch if a switch could switch switches? How many switches would a switch switch if a switch could switch switches? Boom, baby.
1: Got it.
0: Nailed it.
2: And hopefully that answers your question, Craigity Craig.
1: What was the question?
0: And don't forget you can send your questions and responses to our Twitter feed at SwitchFocusPod or our Facebook account, Switch Focus Podcast, all via our website and its handy contact form. All that's left is to say thank you for listening to the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Make sure to head over to SwitchFocusPodcast.com for further updates, news, and other content.